Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Nexus Pro. Nexus Pro is an annual or monthly subscription where members get exclusive writing, podcasts, and invites to members-only Zoom gatherings. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexuslabs.online. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Nexus Podcast. Episode 52 is a conversation with Rob Huntington of Air Masters out of Australia. We talked about a couple of perhaps controversial opinions, observations and predictions that Rob has about the future of building controls, networks, and the role of the MSI and the construction process itself. This was a fun one to unpack. Please enjoy Nexus Podcast episode 52. Hey Rob, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself? Uh, Thanks James. Yeah, so it's Rob Huntington here um, coming at you all from Canberra in Australia and yeah, really excited to be on on the episode this week. Awesome. Awesome. Can you give us a little bit about your, your education and, and background? Yeah, sure. I'll go back a little bit further than I normally would. Back to back to high school days, just so I can touch on my relationship with a friend of the podcast, Tyson Suter. I actually grew up in Sydney and went to high school with Tyson. So we've known each other for, geez, 25 years, I guess. Awesome. <laughs> which, which is a scary thought. But yeah, so yeah, grew up in Sydney and yeah, dropped out, I guess, of high school, you might say, when I was 16. And was really keen just to get into the workforce. So struggled at school, struggled to be engaged and wanted to get out and, yeah, start start earning a living, I guess. And I had some really good mentors at the time who were really influencing me, I guess, towards getting a trade. So I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I left, but I had guys sort of saying just four years, get a trade under your belt. And if you don't like it, yeah, you've always got that to fall back on. So cool. Yeah, I, I did a bit of work experience and tried a few different trades out and yeah, found this trade called refrigeration and air conditioning, which wasn't your typical plumber or chippy or sparky or anything like that. But the diversity is what got me. So working on anything from a pump and pump seals, motors and bearings, compressors, and of course, these computer systems that were controlling buildings. So it was probably what ended up fascinating me the most. Um, so yeah, started started that apprenticeship yeah, nearly 20, be 20 years ago uh, wow. this year, which makes me feel very old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's sort of where it all started. Cool. And, and, and fast forward to today, what do you do today? Who do you, who do you work for? So I, I started with a company called Airmaster. This opportunity came up with this, as I say, company called Airmaster. They were just kick, kicking off in Sydney, quite large in Melbourne. But yeah, this opportunity came up. I went across as a third year apprentice. And yeah, from there, had a variety of roles. So initially, when I was still on the road, I fell into controls before my apprenticeship ended, probably about three years into my apprenticeship. So I moved around. That was my third third company actually in three years. So, and you'll probably see a theme here where I was um, always looking for what the next thing was. So I wanted it all. I wanted it now. And it was pretty unusual at the time to jump around in your apprenticeship like that. But mm. I was pretty fortunate, I guess, that I'd grown up with computers where some of the tradesmen that I was working with hadn't. And I just sort of naturally was able to 
work out some of these program programmable controllers and control systems. And basically it was handed a laptop and said, yeah, you're the BMS maintenance guy now. Go out and sort these systems out. So again, pretty fortunate because I got given like a lot of the old systems. So Barbara Coleman, Automatrix, some pretty old command-based systems. So yeah, it didn't have flashy wire sheets and stuff like that. It was pretty hard, I guess, to trace back um, program blocks and that sort of thing in in something like Network 8000. But it was such a great learning experience to see yeah how those systems were put together okay and then yeah eventually i was allowed to work on the newer systems in niagara's <laughs> and that sort of thing once i graduated i guess from those older systems <laughs> okay yeah um, it sounds like you and tyson had a lot in common maybe it was something at the the uh the water in the high school or something like that you know well maybe maybe the beer is like so the story with tyson is yeah once i was about three or four years in to my apprenticeship I was explaining to him, yeah, every Friday, Saturday night, we were together about how the computers were sort of controlling the buildings. And yeah, I eventually managed to get him um, to come across to Airmaster. As I was finishing my apprenticeship, he was just starting. And again, he sort of followed the same path as me with the refrigeration trade. Again, he got handed a laptop as well. Maybe he took over from me. You're the controls guy now. And then, yeah, interestingly, I, yeah, I did do a, very early SkySpark deployment, like 2012, I think. And interesting listening to Leon's podcast the other day, he mentioned a mechanical contractor that thought they could do it all themselves. Well, that was us. (laughs) (laughs) So, and to to appoint me. So yeah, I did uh, a deployment 2012, probably about a year before when I was founded. And really interesting to see how it evolved. Like that particular deployment, we sold it as a piece of software to begin with and said to the facility manager you're going to love this it's this new system you can log into it you're going to visualize all your data and it's going to tell you all these challenges or opportunities you've got in your building what happened nothing (laughs) yeah they never logged into it yeah yeah so then thinking on my feet it's like well how do we how do we get some value out of this so then we started sort of looking into the system now i guess the other challenge we had was there was no sparks essentially and i think the the thinking was no sparks means no problems but mm. i guess it was that the rules hadn't been developed yet to mm. identify any challenges so yeah it was your classic analytics setup i was going in reviewing but i mean the, the cool thing about skyspark at the time the way the data was laid out and visualized it was so simple to pinpoint problems identify patterns so then what would normally happen we'd identify like a chiller short cycling we'd then write a rule to find that automatically or reverse engineer it i guess and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden that was coming up as an, as an opportunity so that was good started getting a bit of traction and yeah issues sort of being identified but then the next challenge was like how do we do something about it um, yeah we'd sit around the table, like we were the mechanical maintenance contractor and you sit down with, let's say the BMS contractor and you're telling them all these challenges or issues they've got with their system. And again, pretty pretty toxic sort of environment when <laughs> yeah. you're, you're pointing the finger like that. So yeah, fast forward, yeah, a few more months and uh, yeah, July, yeah, 2013, Bueno was sort of born. So yeah, get it out of the Airmaster banner and I mean, what those guys did in those early days, they were so far ahead of everybody else. It was pretty amazing to sort of watch 
where it went from there. Oh, but point to the story, like we got at Airmaster, we sort of very fortunate, we got access to a lot of new technology very early in the piece. So whether it was SkySpark, I mean, we're Australia's first tritium systems integrator as well. So yeah, pretty fortunate to always have access to the latest and greatest technology in the market here. Totally. And if people want to go back to those episodes, so Leon was number 46, I think, and Tyson was number 19. So I love that continuity from past episodes. That's super fun. <laughs> so so the reason I wanted to bring you on, Rob, that because you and I were exchanging messages uh, basically around some of the more what I would call controversial uh, LinkedIn posts and comments you've made. And, and so I want to read one of them because I think it sets the context <laughs> for, for where we're going today. So, and I've used this quote in a couple of different essays at different places so far and always with attribution, of course, but you said, you said the sun is setting on building management systems as we know it and change is coming through building operating systems and package equipment control which when delivered will eliminate the need for field fitted BMS control altogether, which it, I, I love that quote. Uh, I think people will be listening, loving that quote. It, it very, it, it aligns very well with this entire series on BAS BMS that I did with Matt Schwartz from Altura. That's kind of the vision that he has as well. So let's, um, first of all, I'll let you kind of expand on, on that quote a little bit. Where did that come from? And can you give us a little more color? on it yeah so yeah that that comment i guess is intended to be controversial right you may love that comment but there's a lot of people that hate it with a passion and oppose it so for me yeah sometimes i guess you've got to be pretty controversial try and get people thinking differently but for me the, the idea of fitting controls to things in the field it just doesn't make any sense. So whether it be from a technology point, whether it's from an efficiency point, a safety point, it's just a challenge for me to understand why we haven't seen um, a greater adoption, I guess, of factory fitted controls as opposed to people coming out and fitting stuff to air handling units, to fair call units, sort of sort of in the field. So Yeah, we um, have this like bespoke, like we're going to do it in a completely new way every time mentality. Every time. And I think like the engineering is a big one. It seems, I mean, you could give the same controller and the same functional description to 10 BMS engineers and you would get like same outcome. The, the piece of equipment would be controlled, but the way in which it's done would be different. Whether it's the function blocks, whether it's the inputs and outputs and the order in which they've used, it would be very different. And that's the challenge, I guess, when we start talking about integration or building operating systems like there's no way for you to to pull an air handling unit into these systems and be able to understand that data easily you've, you've almost got to you've got to go in and analyze that that control of the program identify the inputs and outputs and it's a really cumbersome process and it all goes back to like you said this bespoke engineering and essentially recreating that controller program every single time it's deployed it's it's crazy totally and it, it happens as you go further up the stack right so if you create a bespoke air handling unit controller and i'm going to put analytics on top now i have to create a bespoke data model and bespoke rules most of the time uh so what is the alternative to this what's what's package equipment control and i know what it is but can you explain uh can, can explain what you mean by that yeah oh, so i mean it shouldn't it's not really 
a foreign concept, but perhaps the terminology is mm-hmm. packaged equipment control or product integrated control. It happens already. So if we think about a chiller, right? The chiller has its own controls on board. Yes, it's a complex piece of equipment, but yeah, it, it controls itself. It's it's staging, it's compressors. Essentially, you connect to that via a high-level interface. You can give it a set point and you can also pull information out of it. So I guess it's taking that concept um, and delivering it across all pieces of equipment in a building. So I guess today we're focusing on mechanical equipment, probably because it's yeah most familiar to most of the audience but everything from a fan call unit air handling unit vav an inline exhaust fan like if everything had that onboard control delivered by oems or all the factories and it was delivered in a consistent way every time like every time you got a air handling unit from train you knew like like any HLR, I guess you knew how that piece of equipment or the controller was going to be mapped as far as registers go, or it's re- it's repeatable, easy mm-hmm. to discover, and it's it, ta- it it removes that work from the field and puts it into a controlled environment, yeah, in a factory, fully integrated with the equipment, and there's a lot of advantages, be it cost or time or totally. yeah, interoperability. Yeah. And, and I, I've sort of disagreed with some of our community in the past, have the Nexus community, who, who have said, basically, don't don't try to make the you know manufacturers like be good stewards of data. You know, we'll add the data model on after the fact. But my opinion has always been like, no, those guys can like meet everybody halfway. Those guys can continue to standardize and open up the data and model it in a way that describes what it's doing right uh and it can be done at the factory yeah totally agree so second piece of that quote is the building operating system uh that is a fuzzy term for me and we will have discussed it in a couple episodes back as well it's it's coming up more and more it seems like to me so what is a building operating system uh to you this will be controversial again (laughs) because i know there's like a anti-appification movement i guess like i think people think that um thinking of a building like an iphone ios operating system or an android operating system like I think there's people that think it's oversimplifying things, but mm. in truth, I mean, how complex, yeah, well, anyway, I'll stay on the controversial line. How complex is a building? I mean, an air handling unit, it's a fan with, it's a box with a fan in it. Like, are we overcomplicating how an air handling unit is controlled? So, mm. I mean, and so back to the question around a building operating system, for me, it's that platform that does allow you to connect to your air handling unit that has a controller in it via not necessarily an app, but a way in a way in which doesn't require a server for every single system that's in a building. So you could have up to the way buildings are going at the moment. You've got dozens of servers that are dedicated to lighting control, air conditioning control, CCTV, and, and this repeated deployment of servers with software hosted. Again, it seems very it's very inefficient. Yeah, and very foreign. I mean, you look at how the IT, the IT world, I guess, has where it's found itself now, and the digital transformation it's undergone with the cloud. And you, you, in the not too distant future, your Google's, your well, yeah, let's stay on Google because I guess they're the ones that are really driving this building operating system idea at the moment. They're going to crack the code soon. <laughs> I think there's a bit of a gap 
at the moment where they're probably struggling like we all are to get meaningful data out of buildings. But once they do, everything is going to end up in the cloud. Yeah. Again, controversial. People are really afraid of their BMS server not being located on site for some reason. But yeah, eventually that building operating system, that's a single platform that allows everything to talk to it. That's yeah, sort so of where it, I see it going. It sort of consolidates all the supervisory level controllers and servers, or it could be virtual servers across all the different silos. So HVAC lighting down the line, it consolidates all that together. And then you can build software applications or sit software applications on top of that sort of layer. And like you're, yeah, like you're indicating, it's moving it from being that vertical type approach where everything's siloed and you've got a network and a server and a control system that just does air conditioning and then another vertical that's doing energy management, lighting, et cetera. Yeah, trying to yeah make that horizontal and getting all the devices together on a single network, then yeah, bringing that up in that fashion as opposed to trying to bring all these pieces together after the fact with more of an integration style. The building operating system that has capability to talk to all these systems natively, that would be Nirvana, I guess, but probably a yeah. fair way off <laughs> yeah. getting to that. So, and this has a lot of overlap with my course. The students that are listening to this will probably like, they're, they're, they're probably be smiling right now because we, we've learned a lot of this, but the impetus for that siloed world, right? Of that, a bunch of different vertical stacks is in the way we construct our buildings, right? So we construct it with the trades that are responsible for each of those stacks, right? So I think what, what we're going to do in this conversation is sort of unpack Given your sort of controversial prediction here, let's unpack what that means for a bunch of different stakeholders and, and, and different ways in which we're doing things today. But first, let's start with the long-term, given those two trends you just talked about, what does that mean for the BMS contractor? They're facing extinction. Why is that? If you imagine a world where every single piece of equipment comes with onboard control yep. from factory, and the mechanical contractor is responsible for delivering that. So he procures his equipment with control, it gets delivered to site. In addition to that, there's a building services network or a base building network or whatever terminology you want to use. But essentially, there's a single network in the building over which everything communicates. So you've now got your piece of equipment with an onboard controller, IP-based, you would assume. The network that's been installed by a dedicated contractor that piece of equipment plugs into, and that's all feeding up into the building operating system or integration platform. So all of a sudden, I mean, what's left for that BMS contractor to do, right? He's right. not fitting controls to anything. He's not running a network. So they're not installing servers. They're not selling software. Yeah, they're not doing a whole lot. Yeah, and they're fighting back hard. Like the BMS contractor used to be the smartest guy in the building. and like interesting if you even just unpack what BMS, building management system, do BMS systems actually control buildings anymore? I mean, back in the day, they used to, right? Like it was often that it was a pseudo integration platform. So mm -hmm. less sophisticated systems would often be brought up into that BMS system. But now that your lighting control systems and your energy management systems are becoming more sophisticated and generating more data, often they're dedicated systems in their own right now. Yeah. And the BMS just controls air conditioning. 
Yeah, I always laugh at the acronym BMS because there's not a lot of management that is possible in today's, especially, you know, at that server supervisory level, the Mm. software is just not, it's not helping anyone manage much. So I always tend towards the Americanized acronym, which is building automation system because it does automate stuff, right? It doesn't doesn't automate the building, right? No, yeah, that's right. It's a mechanical or HVAC automation system. I don't know. But yeah. yeah, they're becoming less and less relevant, I guess. And that's the trend. Um, you can see it without going down. Let's forget about the packaged equipment control and the building operating system. Just with like converged networks and analytics, let's say, mm-hmm. their relevance in the building is being chipped away. So often data analytics is starting to replace your, your typical labor-based BMS maintenance. Hmm. So their market shares eroding as far as getting getting chipped away from a a bunch of different angles here. angles yeah Yeah. interesting um it's your blockbuster netflix type scenario like yeah well i was just gonna (laughs) ask like the futures here it's just not evenly distributed right so you're in australia in this specific region so how much of this is happening today where you're at versus sort of a conjecture on how this is going to go so the that erosion of market share is happening today. Predominantly, it's the networking side of things. So yeah, I mean, and that's sort of where my what my day job is, I guess, at the moment. Predominantly dealing with building services networks mm-hmm. and talking to building owners, operators, and builders around what the advantages are, I guess, of taking that approach or having a building services network installed. What it means is that any of your traditional type contractors who are installing BMS systems, lighting control systems, CCTV, and even as far as wireless internet now, it's all being, it's all communicating or being distributed over a single network. And by taking that approach, it means that everybody else's networking element, I guess, of their job is not required anymore. So Hmm. it's, we're not seeing switches, servers, cabling being installed multiple times duplicated in parallel in a building. It just gets done once, gets done right. But like I said, that's it's slowly reducing the contract values, I guess, of a traditional BMS contractor or a CCTV contractor, these sorts of trades. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad we started to unpack this quote because I'm still, I'm, I'm, I thought I understood the quote. It's a very, uh, there's a lot between the lines as well. So uh, I thought I understood it and I feel like I'm, I'm seeing it in more, more detail now. Let, let's jump into real quick the, well, not real quick. Let's, let's jump ahead from what I was planning on asking you about next, which is let's, let's dive into this networking piece, right? So we've had several episodes of the podcast talking about uh, base building networks or building services networks, as you call them. And Several several episodes around IT versus OT and trying to figure out what's the right approach. Is it a different approach for different owners? Is there one answer all the time? Can you just start us off with your your perspective on IT versus OT? Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked in that way because I hate it being referred to like that. Okay, good. And this is why, like pitching IT and OT against each other, neither can win. Yeah. So OT cannot deliver, or it's pretty rare that an OT provider has enough knowledge to deploy an IT-grade system in their own right. Likewise, IT companies or services providers 
have no idea about how a building is built. And like, I know this from personal experience, right? So the first building services network we did back in 2017, the IT crew wanted a clean, dust-free, air-conditioned environment for all their gear to be installed in. Mm-hmm. And we are like, guys, that that's not happening. That's like, not a thing. The, the interesting thing with the BSN is it has to be the first system installed and commissioned to allow everybody else to connect and commission their own systems. So yeah. the thought of having that clean, dust-free, air-conditioned environment is insane. Well, it will never happen. So then the next challenge is getting these guys onto a construction site. So usually they come in, buildings built, sort of during a fit-out stage. So safety boots, hard hats, inductions, like the whole construction environment is so foreign to the IT world and they don't understand it. They're not familiar with it, nor are they familiar with the protocols and the way in which our systems communicate. So for me, neither party in isolation can deliver this change by themselves. It's really got to be a coming together of the two knowledge bases And that's when you really see success. Like when IT and OT work together to deploy IT-grade solutions in an OT environment, that for me is when you start seeing success. Totally. I'll just kind of repeat back to you what you said earlier, which is we have a contractor that used to have this networking piece in their scope. And now with this trend of building services networks, we're now taking it out of their scope. And so I feel like there's an inherent challenge here, which is convincing these guys to downscope, reduce their revenue, uh, and then cooperate with this sort of new way of doing things, right? Is that what I'm hearing as well? Totally. And they don't. They make it (laughs) super difficult. I don't know. Part of me feels like it's intentional because they want this thing to fail. They don't want the next job they go to to have this network because either they want to go back to how things have always been done and have control over that element. Or in some cases, the BMS contractor is actually competing for the same. They're they're trying to do the building services networks too. So they've really got a vested interest in making sure that this BSN is seen as the reason why the building is going to go dark basically, or it's going to be this huge problem that no one can deal with. They take the same tactics with analytics, right? So these types of contractors usually have an analytics package that they want to sell as well. Exactly. And so they're going to, they're going to take that same approach. It's sabotaging the success a lot of times of their clients so that they can get a bigger piece of the pie. That's what I've seen. Oh, it is totally. And they also want to black box like the network. So where we're taking a pretty firm line on it being an IT great network with your typical IT equipment. When you see a BMS contractor deploy these, they're all usually an OT grade solution. That's got an element of well, locking contract to it. So it's the whole BMS openness. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's history repeating and it depends on the client, I guess. And that's the challenge we see here. So we can have two jobs or two two buildings being constructed, let's say, both got a BSN specified in them. Mm-hmm. One BSN is two paragraphs as far as a specification or description goes. The other is 100 pages. Mm. Both called the same thing. And there's usually like millions of dollars difference between the two. But the industry perceives these two 
networks is the same thing. It's pretty challenging. The budget version, I guess, or the OT version is, it's pretty harmful to the whole movement when deployed poorly or in truth, even when it's deployed well, because the, the technology is so different, right? The switch isn't a switch and a network's not a network. Yeah. So you said the word IT grade a couple of times. Let's draw a little dichotomy here. So on, on one hand, we have an IT grade BSN. And on the other side, we have, I don't know what you would call the other side, but, but what OT are the characteristics? Grade, OT grade. What are the characteristics of each side? <laughs> oh dear. Where do we, where do we start? <laughs> um, there are only slight differences, right? Or slight in wording, but massive in terms of functionality. So an active network versus a passive network. Huge differences as far as I don't even know what that deployed. means. What do you mean? So typically like an IT grade network will be deployed using active networking hardware. So your normal active switch, you've got, hopefully you've got a fiber backbone that's a primary connection to your active switch. And it's basically, yeah, in an active fashion, managing the network. Hmm. A passive network is off, I mean, I would refer to it almost like a coax splitting type arrangement where a single fiber is being used and then split many times and essentially you've got everything running over when you get all the way back to where it originates it's a single fiber basically mm. it's been split and split and split throughout the building now it's got use cases for sure like where you're running and it's quite prevalent in hotels or apartment buildings where you're distributing television for example yeah it can work typically where it's a single service running over it. But as soon as you start trying to run multiple services and high bandwidth things like, yeah, CCTV, IPTV, internet, we hear stories where, yeah, these passive optical networks are installed because it's a cost-driven decision. And once devices start getting connected and everything grinds to a halt, they've often got to upgrade the whole system, including the structured cable and everything. Most of the the whole job's got to be redone, basically. Then you've got the speed of the network, one gig, 10 gig. You've got, oh, yeah, there's a lot of differences, but often it's only a, a word, right? If you're reading a spec, At, it's going to be difficult to tell, you know, what people mean, but yeah, and tell the difference. Um, and the topology is probably the other one, like a, a mesh topology versus a ring topology. So you've got to remember, often every single thing in the building is communicating via this network. It has to be resilient. It has to have redundancy. And yeah, the topology is really important with that. So the mesh topology, basically, if you lose a fiber connection to a switch, it's got a redundant path and a way basically yeah. to communicate back. So if I'm a contractor that's used to installing my own network in my own silo, <laughs> and now I'm going to uh, install a building-wide network for a bunch of silos to connect, and I do it in the way that I used to do it, then it's just... It, things are going to break. So yeah, it doesn't scale. And I think one of the biggest ones will support from the manufacturer. So when you use an IT vendor, like for critical components, they'll replace it same day. Hmm. They've got representation in each region and you get a core switch fail or a power supply fail. Like essentially they'll have their own technician on site replacing that critical piece of equipment. When it's not an IT yeah, vendor, that's that type of support isn't available so you're calling yeah, like same, a like a bms distributor type of arrangement yes. yeah basically i mean hopefully they've got stock and, and maybe they can be same day but again it's the distributor or the original installer that's going to to do that warranty or 
breakdown work as opposed to mm-hmm. the actual. And is there, are there sort of proprietary, non-proprietary sort of layers that are working themselves into this dichotomy as well? Uh, essentially, essentially. It all goes back to that openness and multi-vendor type yeah, and not so much proprietary, but I'd say it's the multi-vendor if we want to think about it like that. So HP, Adele, people like that, you know you've got choice in the market. Like any reputable IT managed services business can work across those systems. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at a, a solution where there's only one distributor in a region or a country, again, your choice has been taken away and you end up back in this, this lock-in BMS scenario. So it's, yeah, it's concerning i guess yeah yeah so what we're painting this picture of it's, it's challenging to change how things are done uh i can tell from your, your looks on your face as you're talking about it <laughs> hey guys just another quick note from our sponsor nexus labs and then we'll get back to the show this episode is brought to you by nexus foundations our introductory course on the smart buildings industry if you're new to the industry this course is for you If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together, and they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. Let's talk about lessons learned. So you've done these projects. Some have gone really well. Some haven't gone really well. What if I'm a building owner right now and I'm like, I, I want an IT grade, you know, base building network or building services network. How do I make it happen? I mean, it probably goes a step even before that getting to understand what the outcomes are for your building when you build it. So it's no, in my experience, you can throw all the technology and all the solutions at a building that you like during the procurement phase, but just putting a whole lot of smart systems in doesn't make your building intelligent. So if you're the, if you are that building owner, we have to be having that discussion around the outcomes or the user journeys or tenant experiences or whatever we want to call it. We have to map that out at the beginning. And for example, you want your CEO to arrive, yeah, your major tenant, CEO arrives in the morning, he can transition through the building in a contactless fashion and he gets to his desk and his coffee sitting there when he gets there that old yeah i'm sure we've heard that a thousand times but yeah so if that's if that's a journey that we want to map then we use that journey to drive technology choices so okay if we want contactless entry to the building how do we get him through the speed styles at the front door how do we get him through the lifts and the destination control and start to drive the technology choices based on achieving that outcome as opposed to, oh, I want a building services network because that's what everyone else is doing. And I think that's essentially all that flowing from the top down, that's that's when you're going to have success. So engaging with a building owner early, building a digital blueprint, if we want to call it that, which maps out why or what it is that we want the building to, to do or what the experiences we want the tenants to have when they enter this building then that essentially then needs to feed into the, the more traditional consultants. So do you need that building services network to allow communications to all the systems? Who's your vendor? Well, what, what are the features that the control systems need to have in the building to enable that journey that we spoke about? So, and 
filtering that all the way down, yeah, until you get to the contractors or in some cases, the subcontractors to the contractors. Yeah, I mean, that's a great segue to the next part of this conversation, which is this this role of, I mean, I mean, really that it's the strategy of getting someone that knows about all the technologies involved way earlier than they're currently getting involved in a lot of projects. And that's been, you know, recently called the role of the MSI, right? The master systems integrator. So let's, before we move on from the the doom, the, the code accusation or the blockbusterization of the BMS contractor, I, I think what you're probably not about to say is that the BMS contractor should be playing that role that we're about to talk about. <laughs> That was a leading question. I should have asked that in a more open-ended <laughs> way. This is like going to be clickbait. Once so much controversy in one podcast. Um, <laughs> look, they can be. They've got the skill set, right? Like, yeah, they previously were the the smartest guy in the building, and it's not a big leap for them to yeah just forget the way in which things have been done in the past and adapt. So those that adapt and recognize what's coming will continue to live on and those who want to keep their blockbuster stores open with videos on the shelves they're not going to be here in in a few years time so they've got the ability to yeah pivot i guess and move into this space and again the it is a classic example like with the, that digital transformation everything moving to the cloud like what did it providers used to do that whose businesses were built on putting little data centers in closets customers and- offices and mm-hmm. closet yeah so they had to move away from selling hardware and servers to manage services or adapt to the change, basically. So can they be? Yes. Should MSI be part of the BMS specification, let's say, or it, it'd be contracted in that way or in that siloed approach? That's the, the part I don't agree with, I guess. It really has to be an overarching set of principles for the whole project that that flow across or join together all the different silos instead of it being a silo in itself you see it happen with the bsns and you see it happen with integration it it sometimes just falls in the bucket of the bms contractor because that's sort of Mm -hmm. where it fits best but i mean that goes back to this whole challenge of the design of the building still being in silos so how do you break that cycle and have the master system integrator actually across the top influencing everybody or bringing the silos together instead of yeah. creating another a new silo, you're just creating another silo basically by contracting the integration or the network as a, as a vertical. Yeah. And this is going to build on some of the themes that we talked about. I talked about with Brian Turner and Mike Bruman, different episodes where we talked about the MSI role, but I think what you're describing, like we can improve upon the design phase but I think what, what I'm hearing also is that you're talking about the MSI sort of being involved or an MSI-like role being involved even before the design phase, which correct me if I'm wrong, but this is where the systems start to get like architected out before you get into the nitty-gritty design. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's, that's where personally I've seen the most success. So there's one model where your entry point is at the bottom you're the bottom of the food chain. You are subcontracting to like an electrical contractor who's contracting to the builder. Mm -hmm. And it's really difficult to influence or guide all the parties on the site 
when you're that bottom feeder, basically, you're just a subcontractor. Don't tell me how to design my IP scheme or deploy my server, whatever. When you come in at the top where you're talking to the building owner and you have mapped out those journeys and like there's a clear outcome in mind when we're talking about these technology choices, a lot easier to influence when you've got the building owner in complete alignment. Mm-hmm. The message is clear. Everybody knows why. And that's probably the bit that's missing, I guess, when we talk about some of these converged networks or integration platforms. Like, why are we doing this? Like, why do I have to connect to this converged network? And sometimes that is probably not easy to answer. If that is clearly understood from the outset, I think it makes it a little bit easier for everybody to swallow to know why are we doing this? Why are we changing the way that things are done? So is this almost like a different role, master systems architect versus master systems integrator? Or is it the same uh, role? I, I think it's similar. I think it's the timing that's different. The architecture piece would sort of indicate that it happens, like you said, mm-hmm. early on in the piece. Yeah. And you are yeah, putting together an architecture, I guess, that will flow down into the consultants, down into the trades. Integration, I guess, by name would indicate you're having to pull different things together after mm-hmm. the fact. So for me, it's just a matter of timing. The role is mm-hmm. similar. But doing it smart from the start um, and having a building operating system specified in would almost, you'd, you'd think the integration piece isn't actually required. It's it's already together from the beginning. So totally. you're not having to communicate to different systems, different protocols. They're all natively being able to talk to one another without yeah. the need for integration. So I'm picturing like the, the traditional construction process and we've, we've inserted someone up front we've inserted someone that, you know, at the end, like you said, is not one silo. They're kind of connecting all the silos, right? The part that I'm still fuzzy about though, is the design phase, like right, right in the middle here, you know, design firms, and we're going to have Rory from DLR in in a couple episodes, but design firms don't typically do very well at this stage. So do you see, I guess the first question is, are consultants going to start taking on some of this role and what do you think about that? And then do, how, how do consultants play when they don't take on the role and someone else does? Ah, oh, man, you, another, <laughs> another controversial one. I'm mindful of not pointing the finger at too many people, but you're right, like they design in silos. So the classic example for me is hotel rooms. So you can have one consulting firm doing the design for all the services. And you have their electrical consultant or engineer. He designs this control solution for the lighting in the room. It's going to do all these funky things with seams and you walk in and lights come on. This sort of happens. Same thing happens with the air conditioning, but it's its own control system. Occupancy sensor, you walk in and aircon comes on to a print. So you end up with like three or four different controllers in the room that are doing blinds, air conditioning, lighting. When one hotel room controller could do everything. Mm -hmm. But even, and we've had some candid chats with consultants when we brought all their teams together and said, why? Like, do you guys all sit next to one another and do the designs for the building and not talk to each other about what you're doing? And they all laughed and go, huh, yeah, that that actually is what happens. And I don't know, I was, I was joking, but it, it is what happens. Like, they're, yeah. they're literally not, consulting each other on how to actually find efficiencies and hey what if we just put one room controller in so it goes back to not having that overarching guideline of 
or whether it's the consultants that do it or not, yeah, there has to be this this blueprint that is referred back to saying my, yeah, the, the mapping of that hotel guest is we want them to enter the room and we want the blinds to open. TV comes on and says, welcome, Mr. Dice, to your executive suite. And like all those things happen, that's in the blueprint. So then how do the consultants make that happen? So, yeah, mm-hmm. how do we get... So it's someone... I don't really care who it is, but there, yeah, there has to be that overarching guideline that everybody else, if, if we're going to continue to design these buildings in silos like we do, there has to be this blueprint or guideline in place people can refer back to to make sure we can achieve, yeah, achieve outcomes. Totally. I think there's a part of this that I'm trying to, so as we, you know, we're just talking about these different phases, we're talking about doing things differently than we were doing them before. One of the pieces that I struggle with is, is all the different ways that all these players currently make money and transforming them, uh, their business models into perhaps a new way of making money. Right. So we've talked about some of them are making less, their, their contracts are less than they were before. Some of them need to be shifting from like, like with the MSI specifically, I see that as like a consulting role in many ways. Whereas a lot of these firms, what they were doing before is a contractor role. So those are two different business models and I've done both and I'd understand that they're both different. And if you're yeah. built, if you build all your entire systems and, and uh, uh, compensation structures and processes all around one business model and you're asking them to shift to a new one, I think that's a big deal that I don't hear talked about that much. What do you think? Oh, it's massive, man. Like you, your business is built on selling boxes essentially mm-hmm. when you're yeah, a BMS contractor, let's say. And like you said, if you're moving into that consulting role, you're selling labor and it will expertise almost. So yeah, it's a completely different business model. And it's, it's, it's hard to grasp. Yeah. From a financial point of view, it's also hard to get yourself positioned in the market. Like if you're known as a BMS contractor, how do you elevate yourself in the food chain to be talking directly to a building owner about integration and operate building operating systems and and things like that? It's really, it's hard. It's really yeah. hard. If it was easy, everyone would have already made the transition now. And yeah. Wouldn't be selling BMS controllers. And, and likewise, if it was easy, Google would already have control of the whole, the whole market. So <laughs> yeah. there's this gap in the middle and it's going to be really interesting to see who fills the gap. Like, is it going to be your cloud providers and your IT guys coming in and taking everything over, which I think is their intent, but not as easy as they first thought. Yeah. Or is it going to be your manufacturer, like your equipment manufacturers? I think it'll be a bit, a bit of both. If equipment manufacturers can really or truly deliver this packaged equipment control, it's got friendly protocols, I guess, that yeah, Google can communicate with that. Hopefully the gap in the middle starts to close. Yeah. And I, I wrote in last month, I wrote about um, Google has one of their press releases. They have this uh, one line that says something along the lines of, you know, Google's creating this building operating system of the future. And, and there's nothing else on the entire internet about it. It's just this one <laughs> sentence that I had to put for our members. I had to like highlight it in like two or three different emails. I just want to make sure everyone saw this. <laughs> <laughs> I did, honestly, I did the same. I've been Googling it like yeah. in preparation for this meeting and there's not much out there yeah. on, on it other than they've said they're doing it. I went on a journey basically trying to find a IT solution that can do what Niagara can do. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because when you're looking at like an integration platform, Niagara 
after all my exploring, I actually came back to it because it's pretty unique and like the power of what it can do, nothing compares to it out there in the market mm-hmm. as far as like GCP or, or, or what they claim to be able to do, what they can do once you get your data up into the platform, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But how do you get it there? And like I've spoke at length to every IT or cloud services provider you can think of and none of them, like my first question is BACnet. Like, yeah, know what that is? What the hell's BACnet? That's a legacy protocol. No one uses that anymore. Okay, well, thanks, but no thanks. Next. Yeah. So Good. the fact can't that they're just, you can't talk to, if you can't talk BACnet, you can't talk to the building. So. Mm-hmm. All right, so part of this is like when we talked about that building operating system layer here, that software market is extremely diverse in the number of companies that are saying that they're doing that, right? That layer is really, really confusing. At the same time, the MSI needs to be able to understand that software well enough to where they can make it work, right? Because they're the ones that is that are integrating all the silos into it. So that makes me question how independent can an MSI be when they spend their time learning this layer of the marketplace and learning different tools that provide that building operating system layer. And I guess where I'm going with that is, is there a way for the MSI to be independent from that layer? No, no, there... I know what you're saying. Cause it's like, yeah. if I guess there's two pieces to that MSI model. Mm-hmm. One the end goal is this single pane of glass. And like you said, that piece is probably going to be difficult to have independence because you're going to go in with a preconceived idea of what you are going to deploy as your integration layer or building operating system, whatever it may be. Especially if you're coming from the contractor world, right? Where you're probably a distributor and something. Oh, totally. And like you see it already, like you've got, like even just this week, I've seen Carrier Abound, like they've got this new cloud-based platform that they're, that they've announced. So everybody is going to have their version of a cloud-based integration platform. And they're probably going to go in like, that's essentially what they're trying to sell. But for me, it's all of the other work, like that consulting work that you have to do to make sure everybody that sits underneath that platform can seamlessly integrate and communicate with the platform. So that knowledge and expertise is, I believe, more important than the platform itself but again it's yeah having independence as far as what that platform is what product or software it is that's probably yeah right it's i guess if i were to like we have a lot of building owners that listen to this like you can you can have a selection process for your software layer that's independent of the msi's role in my opinion msi can help educate you on that but it doesn't need to be part of their contract and compensation it can be you, you can create independence from that software layer and basically come out with a process that picks the best software for you, right? We don't have to have that sort of so integrated in with the construction players. And I think a lot of the bigger portfolios obviously understand that and they're standardizing on different different software platforms that they will spec, so. And look, and maybe that's the difference between the master system architect and integrator. So like naturally we're talking about the MSI as doing the work. Mm-hmm. Like they are going to do the integration platform. Whereas, yeah, the architects, like you said, they can perhaps be independent. If they're not the ones actually deploying the integration platform, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you've got complete independence because yeah. you can select the right solution for that particular job 
guided by the outcomes you're trying to achieve. So it's that's a slight difference, but I guess it's, it's going to come back to that question of, yeah, is it, a, is it a consulting role or is the intent that an MSA, MSI does stuff as well? Um, mm-hmm. Probably. I'm going to make it even more confusing for us because <laughs> I, I, I know for a fact, and I've talked to the, talked to specific MSIs that have a great software layer that they've developed. Right. And I know it's good. And so at the same time, I'm like also talking to those owners, like if you have a great MSI and they're going to be installing their own product, that's probably a good fit too. Right. Mm. You know, I'm thinking of specific (laughs) uh, vendors in mind, but like, like I I know that that's probably going to work out well as well. So it's like, yeah, there's always these nuances that make it so hard to wrap your, wrap your head around. There's no one way. Right. No. Oh no. It's so, it's really challenging. But again, I think because, like there's no clear definition, whether it's everything we've talked about today, none of it's clearly defined. Yeah. Whether absolutely. it's the operating system, integration platform, MSI, MSA, like they're all these fluffy terms that I don't think anyone's really nailed as far as really defining what they all mean. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's part of what I try to do in the course is like call stuff by different acronyms that it might look like I made up, but I'm really trying to just like, <laughs> right. Like draw buckets around stuff. But the number one thing I get when I, when I sort of lay out the current construction process for, for my students is the number one question I get is like, okay, how do we change it? Right. So do you have, <laughs> do you have, how do we integrate the, what we're calling really? It's like a mindset of the MSI. We're not saying there's one answer here, but how do we get these concepts integrated into the construction process? Unfortunately, it almost always comes down to cost. Okay. And that's what I'm seeing so far. So this, this job I'm just about to kick off in Adelaide, whilst it is a really cool technical solution to a problem, it is a completely converged network there is not another cable or piece of equipment going in other than the one that we're putting in so it's doing wireless internet it's a hotel so we're doing wireless access points internet hotel guest internet front of house internet like everything that can connect via ip is on one network it's it's really it's a really exciting job you're saying it comes down to cost meaning that is cheaper than the alternative Exactly. So despite all the cool things we're doing in this building and all the the experiences we're going to create, it was all cost. We should have loaded with that. Well, (laughs) in a way it sucks like that. That's what the driver is. But on the other hand, the reason why we could realize the cost savings for this client is because we drove it from the very, very, very beginning. Hmm. And we didn't allow anybody in the value chain to price or design their element without taking into consideration this this single network that was going in. So all the duplications in hardware or network hardware have been avoided. The, the cabling was the biggest one. Like they wanted to run five or six cables to every single hotel room. We're running one. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, we run one, pick up the WAP. The WAP has ports on board and you plug stuff into the WAP. So, and that was the bit that these owners really got a hold of. So they're saying... So it's a hundred room hotel, six cables per room. There was 600 cat six cables running. And he's like, that's like this many cables. Yeah. I'm like, yes. I said, we're just going to run one fiber backbone and then one cable out to each room. And he's like, oh, so that's just like this. I'm like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I, done, sold. 
no, none of the smart cybersecurity, like none of that ever came into it. It just so happens that doing it in this way and being smart from the start, you get cost savings. So I think being able to drive those savings, unfortunately, in the short term, that's how, yeah, I've had success is it's, it's essentially come down to being a cost saving discussion. Fascinating. Cool. That was all the questions I had for you. What are you, what are you looking <laughs> forward to the rest of the year? Oh, the, yeah, this job. So yeah, this, this hotel, it's going to be pretty cool again. And proving that this, this model works where we've started from the top down. So we've got a meeting this week where we've called in every contractor and all their subcontractors and making sure that everybody signs up and engages with this from the start. So we don't end up with issues at the back end. So that's, yeah, really cool to see. Like, I think sometimes people think what I talk about, like is, some of it is conceptual, but like, on the other hand, we are actually doing this stuff as well. So yeah, that's sort of probably what I'm most excited about seeing this job follow the, the model that we're talking about. So, but yeah, other than that, that's probably, <laughs> that's what's getting me excited at the moment. I'm uh, just getting that project started. So Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Rob, for coming on the show. And I'll look forward to more controversial LinkedIn posts <laughs> and comments from you. They're highly entertaining. So we'll put, no we'll put Rob's LinkedIn profile in the show notes. <laughs> Everyone can check it out. So thanks so much. No worries. Thanks, James. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.